0: Welcome to this episode of a Missing Link for SLPs podcast. We are in the middle of our a day in the life of a school based SLP. And I tell you, I have so much fun listening to these two SLPs from the schools talk about what they love. I'm hoping you're enjoying these conversations as much as I am. Missing Link for SLPs is really becoming the spot for SLPs to come and listen and hear conversations with other SLPs who are passionate about what we do in our field. We talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, the challenges and why we are doing what we keep doing after all these years. So welcome, welcome, glad you are here. This next episode is with Michelle Rothstein and she's a school-based speech pathologist working full-time in an elementary school for kids K through six. And she has her side hustle of running SLP Badness, which is a TPT store and all sorts of funness there. She serves as a coach for school-based SLPs to help them meet their ever-growing demands in their caseload while meeting the needs of their students. Michelle strives to provide high quality treatment based on the strong connections she has with her students and their families. Michelle believes that therapy success stems from strong caseload management and accurate data collection in her 23 years as a school-based speech pathologist michelle has served as her department coordinator as well as an i.t consultant to the other therapists in her school district outside of work michelle is a mom to a teenage daughter she is a fitness instructor who loves teaching step aerobics and family and fitness occupy her time when she is not working at school or coaching other slps through school madness so I love the SLP coaching I do, and I gotta love this conversation with Michelle and Katie as they talk about a day in the life of a school-based SLP.
1: I am joined with another amazing school-based SLP, Michelle Rothstein. Michelle, we're so glad you are here. Can you tell me where you're joining us from?
2: Yes, I am joining you from a suburb of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, located in Box County.
1: Wow. I am just so excited and delighted that you're here to talk with us tonight. And uh, one of the things we like to do when we start this conversation is kind of just learn about your whole journey to becoming an SLP. So when you kind of think back Tell us a little bit about yourself and the path that got you to being a school-based SLP.
2: Sounds great. I will, I'll start with where I am now. I am a school-based SLP in a suburban Philadelphia school district, actually in the county that I have grown up in my entire life. I work and live in the same school district, and I have been here for 23 years, but my journey to become a school-based SLP started um, really my sophomore year of school. I was out at the University of Pittsburgh and had taken some courses in biology and chemistry, and it didn't quite feel right. And at the start of my sophomore year, I changed up my coursework, stumbled into my first communication sciences and disorders undergrad class. And from there, the rest is history. So, I, Finished and got my undergrad degree at the University of Pittsburgh. I came back home and went to Temple University, received my master's. And like I mentioned before, I pretty much have lived um, in the same county most of my life, except for my period of time in Pittsburgh. And that is now where I work as well.
1: That's wonderful. Now, did you always know that you wanted to work in the schools?
2: Yes, 100%. I was a, a Always, always going to be a school-based SLP. Wow. Yes. From day one, never wavered. Did not really enjoy the other clinical experiences I had that were outside of working with children or in the medical setting. I knew that I was meant to be in the schools. And like I said, never wavered from that initial thought.
1: Okay. So tell us more about your destiny, your, your fabulous yeah. school-based experience. Tell us specifically about the setting you work in. So
2: I actually work for, I guess somebody could look this up if they wanted to, but it's the third largest school district in Pennsylvania. So behind Philadelphia and behind Pittsburgh is my suburban school district. So I am probably about one of maybe at this point 24 or 25 SLPs in my district, which I do know is a substantial department for a school district. And so, I have worked almost exclusively at the elementary level in my time. That is where my passion is. I also have almost, well, I should say, I've always worked with um, autistic students and children in our region. what we call our regionally-based autistic support program. That has always been where my passion lies and so I have been across elementary schools across the district in my time supporting those different programs as well as usually the rest of the population of the building so I currently service um, my elementary school I'm there by myself has about 550 students we have three what we call regionalized autistic support classrooms there so students that sometimes that is their neighborhood school and sometimes they are bused from other neighborhood schools to receive the supports that we have in place um and so i do as i say all the things i am the one person and so that makes it a very unique and very challenging experience when you're a department of one Mm -hmm. um but again i consider myself master of my domain because there's nobody else that does what i do so i get to do it um to the best of my ability and the way that i would like to
1: so michelle you said something really interesting there you said you know i'm a department of one and i would like to talk with you more about how you manage some of the demands of uh, being that department of one so Uh, Can you talk with us a bit about workload and scheduling, some of those kinds of things? Let's start with workload. How do you manage the workload when you have all these different factors to consider and you're doing all of it?
2: So the management piece I I personally feel very strongly about is what leads to the success or unfortunately the demise of a school-based SLP because I do believe while most people would say that therapist or clinician is probably the most important title that we hold, I would say caseload manager is really the most important overarching title that we need to manage and execute very well in order to work through all the other phases of our job. So, when it comes to scheduling when it comes to determining um, size of groups, who I want to work together, who I'm evaluating, who I'm screening, that all falls on on my shoulders. And so it really is up to me to have the the keys to the the gate, so to speak. So when I talk about being a caseload manager, one of the things that I believe really firmly in is that in order to do the job well, there is limited space or limited opportunities to service kids so while naturally as therapists we want to do our best and help everybody but i would prefer to help a fewer amount of students exceptionally well than allow everybody in to try to help and not help everybody to the best of my ability and what i mean by that is When it comes to scheduling, I would say my caseload size right now, I probably have about 55 students, K to 6, on my caseload. My caseload may be somewhat smaller than the other therapists in my school district because of the autistic students I service do get a higher degree of time in therapy. So that warrants um, more in my schedule. But what when I talk about there being limited space, when I'm evaluating a student and bringing a new student onto caseload, I'm already in my mind determining who I may be ready to look to discharge within the next, next six months, next year, so that I know if I have somebody coming in, I'm looking at who possibly is ready to reduce their services, who's ready for discharge, so that i can balance the total numbers with the amount of space and time that i have in the course of a week to provide those services
1: so what do you do if there are more students coming on than there are exiting
2: so i actually experienced that last year to a very high degree i'm not sure if all school based slps are have seen an influx of significant student need. I personally um, last year termed it the COVID effect, where I was seeing a very high degree of students coming into kindergarten with very severe speech sound disorders that had not been diagnosed, picked up, students hadn't received early intervention. And so that was a was a very challenging, very challenging year. Thankfully, with the support of my administration after several months and a lot of good um, data to support the need for more time at my building, they were able to increase the service to make sure that the needs of the students were being met. But it is a very challenging aspect of the job, and I don't think it's something that when you start in the field, you're really prepared for as a clinician. And even 23, 24 years into the field it is still something that I think is always evolving and changing. And each year is a different perspective and a different group of kids. And it requires you always to be looking through a different lens.
1: You know, Michelle, uh, one of the ways I tried to help an administrator understand kind of the schedule and the demand pieces, I said, if you think about my time slots, available for therapy as buckets and you think about the students that I see as beans you can give me 75 beans to put in the buckets you can give me 65 beans to put in the buckets but there's an implication to all of those things and what it is is the beans end up staying in the buckets longer if we have more beans because there just isn't if you have a if you have a really large group those students aren't going to get uh, the trials and the dosing of the intervention that can move that needle quicker in terms of progress. And I so appreciate that you're giving voice to that because I do think when we come out of graduate school, sometimes we're a little surprised at the demand and um, the intensity of of time management and caseload management that we experience
2: i, I really do that i hope you don't mind i may steal that gene analogy i may use that in the future because <laughs> it really it really does speak to another perspective and how i look at our jobs some people have asked me along the way well if you wanted to work with children so much why didn't you become a teacher why did you choose this field over another and I equate our job to like being the grandparent. I get to take them, I get to play with them, and then I get to send them back. Yeah. So where the teacher is the parent, I have them all day. But the other aspect of that job that's different from you know classroom educators is that our job is to work ourselves out of a job.
1: Absolutely.
2: So when I meet parents. I, I often explain that right from the get-go, that, like, we, we've identified your child as having a disability in this area or a need in this area. I'm going to intervene. I'm going to provide that need. And then my plan is to do my job well enough that we get to the point where they don't need me anymore. And then the notion would be that they would exit from needing these services. So, I very much prep parents that, you know, my job is to work myself out of the job. And so your analogy of beans in a bucket speaks to me because those beans will be in the bucket longer
1: mm-hmm. if you cannot
2: provide um, the right intervention. So last year in working with one of the new students that I identified, I came into kindergarten with um, a severe intelligibility issue. And I was able, again, with the support of my administration to match right intervention with that child and here less than 12 months later i'm actually able to discharge him which is i I call this student my unicorn my once in a career child when the intervention and the needs of the student match so perfectly um so yes the the more or the More you're able to match intervention and meet the needs of your students within those buckets, uh, the sooner they're able to exit off your caseload, which is ultimately what we're in the business of doing.
1: So, you brought up something else that I think is important to highlight, and it's that notion of preparing parents and guardians for dismissal at the outset of that student entering. speech language services i think sometimes uh, we are hesitant or we think i'll talk about that later but it can help uh, prepare parents and create expectations that are different from an instructional expectation the idea that our goal is to make ourselves unnecessary is is an important message to communicate, and I I really appreciate you saying that from from those first conversations. That is a part of what you're discussing with families.
2: I am, and I think it often flows very easily because a lot of times when you're first identifying a student, you're sitting down with the family for the first time, going over an evaluation report, developing an IEP. As a parent, one of the questions they're asking is how long is my child? going to need these services forever. How long is it going to take them to, to meet these goals? And while my answer is often we don't have a crystal ball, I have clinical judgment and expertise that tells me that it may take us a couple of years to get there. But I can start that conversation then about, here's the first benchmark or here is the first set of goals we're going for. Here's what I'm going to look for after that. If the trajectory continues on the path, is the way I think it's going to. And then ultimately, when we get to this step, we would then be looking for the celebration of exiting your student. And I do also always try to um, couch it as a celebration because sometimes for parents, it is hard to then let go of that safety net and the level of progress they've seen their students make it's very comforting for them to maintain that level of service and then therefore hard to work yourself out of that sometimes i say when you do such a good job and parents are so happy with the services their kids get it's sometimes harder to reduce them or eliminate them completely in the end
1: there definitely can be that anxiety or almost a fear-based component of i don't want my child to lose something that has benefited them so that notion of count uh, of of wrapping it in the language of celebration, I think, is important as well, and really helpful.
2: Yes, I think for parents, um, obviously, it's, it's their child; it's their most prized possession. They send to school every day, right? And they entrust um, with people that start off as strangers, and over time, you develop these wonderful relationships. That's probably. The thing that I love the most about my job is that because I'm the only person in my school, some of my students, I do see kindergarten all the way through sixth grade. And the relationships I have not only with those students, but with those families really is a deep connection. It really is something special and unique about our field that in the schools, the other professionals in the building don't necessarily get to experience
1: right so i did want to ask you a little bit about um how you organize your thinking around planning therapy uh you had talked a little bit before about the use of probe data and how you have these through lines that inform how you're doing something and why you're doing something could you talk more about that that process or your thought train around some of those
2: things absolutely so i think this also goes back to when i started in the field the notion that teaching is not testing and when we're a new clinician and when we're learning obviously we need justification and data to support what direction we think we need to work with a student or what the next goal area should be. However, to me, treatment and data collection are two separate things. And I do not subscribe to the while I'm treating with a student, I'm charting with them. I use um, probe data that is taken at a separate time. I use essentially a monthly interval, so a monthly rotation, Three weeks of treatment, three weeks of therapy, one week of assessment. And so I believe that one, that actually makes my therapy better because I am 100% available. My students, totally attuned to what cues they need in that moment, how I'm supporting them and scaffolding them. I'm not distracted by, oh, wait, did I get to that 10th trial? Do I have what I need on the paper in order to move on? And then by using probe data, I'm using the same assessment tool, the same 10 trials every time I assess that student. And so I think of it, I explain it to people like, it's an apples to apples comparison. It's not apples to oranges. And so that way I use also the term clean data. It's clean because I'm using the same set of stimuli every time I may test it, Oh, I shouldn't say that, not test it. I treat it with a variety of stimuli. But when I go back to assess a student, I'm giving them the same five set of stimuli, the same 10 set of stimuli, so that I am charting their progress in a way that is consistent, and I would also argue um, more legally defensible. Um, and then that informs my instruction moving forward. So then, once a goal is met, and I have that documentation put into their present levels of their IEP or their progress report, and it just informs my instruction better. It documents their progress, um, like I said, in a more legally defensible way. Um, and so, again, a charge in in the schools. It is something that we have to we have to worry about.
1: That is true. Hmm. So, I do know that in addition to working in the schools, you also create uh, supports and tools for other people working in the schools. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the resources you've created.
2: Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking. So, as I started in the field, and again, realizing early on that I was a department of one, Um, I started to create resources for myself that I initially found useful with my students. And over the years that has turned into um, a coaching business for other school-based SLPs, as well as a teachers paid teachers business. Um, That is SLP madness, because I do believe again, no two days are the same. It It is a beautiful madness but it is a madness nonetheless. <laughs> so my Teachers Paid Teachers business supports other school-based SLPs and other SLPs in private practice, supporting their data collection needs, um, resources for social skills instruction, as well as articulation and language instruction. And then I also have um, on my website, some exclusive free resources um, for school based SLPs centered around caseload management, the or organization that I believe really catapults you into a successful year in terms of managing your paperwork, your IEP dates, um, and that can all be found at slpmadness.com.
1: Amazing. So, SLP Madness, is that also the name of your TPT store?
2: Yes, yeah, so it might as well. My TPT store is SLP Madness. And you can also find um, me, my social media for Instagram is slp.madness and also on Pinterest, um, which is SLP Madness. So again, it's a beautiful job, but it does have its moments where it is maddening as well. So that's, I think, really where <laughs> the name of the business maybe 10 years ago came from, is that some days I feel like you have to be mad to do this. And under it is it is a beautiful madness
1: so I appreciate that you're talking candidly about the things that bring you joy and also some of the challenges of yes. this unique setting that we work in and I'm I'd like to ask you to think about your big why so what keeps you said you are in your 23rd year is that correct
2: yeah, so I'm in my 23rd year at my school district. I think it's actually my 24th year. I did do um, one year. But, you know, who's, who's counting?
1: So what so, keeps you coming back? What keeps you, what, what has uh, you getting out of bed day after day, coming back year after year for now over
2: 20 years? I mean, the short answer is is the kids. I mean, it's absolutely about the connection and the love that, I have with my students and that I believe they have with me. Um, What also keeps me back is I work on a great team, keeps me coming back is that I work on a great team with other exceptional professionals. But really at the end of the day, I get paid, play with kids. I get paid to talk to kids. I mean, I could talk to a wall if I needed to. But something somebody said to me, I'll never forget in my first job when I was a CFY. And of course, I was super nervous. And you know there were a million things I didn't know, but I also didn't know what I didn't know at that point. But I was fearful. Um, and somebody said to me, Jill, there is absolutely nothing that you can do that would harm this child. Everything you do will bring this child some benefit even if it's you sit and have a conversation with them for 30 minutes, that's 30 minutes of love and attention that they may not be getting in another aspect of their life. So that has always stuck with me. Anytime I supervise, whether it's a graduate student or a CFY, I pass that same advice on. And so what keeps me coming back? It sounds so cliche and so it's their smiles, it's their love, and it's the connection. That's really, that's what does it for me.
1: Wow. So, you know, what's interesting is that there are always unique tidbits and differences and details when I do these interviews. And there's also these through lines and connection is one of those through lines. We do have the benefit of getting to know these other developing amazing humans, not just for a week or for a month, but in many cases for years. And years. And I think that can be what makes you sort of forget the not so great days and remember these like magic moments. I know that sounds a little corny, but when no, i No, not at that, all.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: That's, um, yeah, that's what you keep. Do you have a magic moment that comes to mind, by the
2: way? I don't know that I have a magic moment. I actually think I have magic kids.
1: Yeah. So there
2: are certain kids over the course of my career that I I do feel like have given me far more than I have ever given them. And so I wouldn't necessarily, again, it comes back to the the connection that I've had with them and they've had with me. So not necessarily, yes, there are are always celebratory moments and there are always wonderful moments that happen through a course of the career. But I would almost say I have more magic kids than individual magic moments. Does that makes
1: sense. It absolutely makes sense. As you're saying that, I'm thinking because I've also been in the schools for over yeah. 20 years, and I'm thinking about some of those magic kids where, after your time is through with each other, you think, "Hmm, I'm forever changed having known yeah. you." And yeah. what a great job! Yeah,
0: <laughs> it
2: is. Yes. It is an excellent job. So for anybody who's listening who is wondering about the schools, teetering about the schools, I would say absolutely do it, absolutely do it. If you think you have an interest in working with children and you are somebody that thrives on being able to establish a connection over a longer period of time, um, I would absolutely encourage any new Therapist, or even a therapist that's been in the field forever that's looking for something different to absolutely try the schools.
1: Wow, Michelle, this has been uh, just a delightful conversation. I thank you so much for your time and for your insights and for your candor. We appreciate you so much.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
0: So I don't know about you, but that episode was absolutely humming with synergy. Katie and Michelle were just talking and pinging off with one another. And I know you can't see the visual, but the whole time Katie was nodding, 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 nodding. Just such a great conversation. I am so glad you took the time. Grateful you took the time to listen to us, to follow the conversation. Please take a moment and share this with anybody who you know might be interested in listening to the Missing Link for SLP's podcast. We are doing this series, A Day in the Life of the School-Based SLP. And next our series is going to be a bunch of mini-series based on Ash's Big Nine. So we have great things to come as we unpack the really neat world of being a speech-language pathologist. Please visit us at freshslp.com. That's our primary website. Also visit us at badassslp.com. That's my coaching for SLP's website. We are on YouTube. We are on all of the platforms for podcast listening. And we would really love your support. So listen, follow, subscribe, share, do all of those things. And also reach back to us. Let us know what you're thinking. Take the time. Drop a comment, ask a question, and we would love to hear from you. Have a great day and take care.